Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're talking about the Kingdom of God. Lots has gone on this week. Lots goes on every week. It seems like uh, history is being written right before our eyes, and we are a part of it whether we like it or not. Uh, like uh, someone who falls into a raging rapids or river, he's going to be carried away with a current and smashed into this rock or that rock, or he's going to find his way to dry land. And uh, it looks like there are rocks ahead uh, in the world today as people are uh, trying to find their way, trying to figure out what the solutions are to life's difficulties. And they're figuring it out in the maze of life itself, the, in the maze that life itself has created. And that creation of the maze in which we find ourselves has been a long time in the making. And so, you know, last week we talked about some of the offices of Rome. We talked about the uh, progression of Rome from a republic to an indirect democracy and then eventually to totalitarian dictatorship. And, of course, this is the stories that we find throughout the Bible uh, because the Bible talks about government more than it talks about religion, uh, at least uh, using the term religion as we know it today. But uh, Christ came preaching a government. He called it the kingdom of God. And uh, we are supposed to be seeking that government, that government of the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. But even saying terms like government, as soon as I say the word government, people think of a group of men exercising authority over everybody else, making laws for everybody else, telling everybody else what they can do and what they cannot do. And... Uh, to some degree, that that may be what government is, but the kingdom of God has to do with the law of nature as much as it has to do with God, because that's one of the ways in which God communicates to the people. He communicates to us through nature. Jesus even says, he talks about reading the signs of the time. You look into the sky and you see the clouds and you say certain weather is coming because we see in nature that when we see this pattern, this pattern develops. When we see these clouds, storm comes. When we see them in the east, when we see them wherever it is that you're at and your weather pattern comes, uh, out here on the... Uh, uh, well, I remember when I worked on wheat farms in North Dakota, out there on the plains, you could see the weather coming two days in advance because you could see all the way around and across the plains. And you would see the, the weather showing that uh, there was something coming. Uh, in the mountains, it's a little bit uh, more difficult. I mean, there are signs that we can look up in the sky and see certain types of clouds and certain types of patterns. But we don't get as much advance notice. Things can change rapidly and suddenly. And, of course, every one of us are in a different place in the world. And in our lives, things can happen suddenly and throw everything off that we planned on. You know, we imagine, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then all of a sudden, our plans have to change because things outside of our control changes. And governments of the world are pretty much outside of our control today. Now, we like to think that we live in democracies, whatever those are, 
and uh, we can go and we can vote and we can fix things by voting this guy in and he will go to Washington, D.C. or the state capitol and he will fix things and he will make them right. Except for the fact that we've been trying that for a long time now and things are seem to be getting worse and worse and worse. I just heard the president of the, the you know, the, the acting president of the United States saying that, you know, all kinds of things are really great. All kinds of things are wonderful. We have to raise interest rates to get inflation under control. But uh, the idea of raising interest rates to get inflation under control is somewhat insanity. And but to a certain degree, it's true. You can get inflation under control by raising interest rates. But if you're also raising the amount of money that you're spending... And uh, increasing more and more debt, and that debt is also uh, covering uh, what you owe on interest of the previous debt that you've had. Uh, inflation might be stopped by raising interest rates, but how high are we going to raise those interest rates before the economy just shuts down altogether? But modern governments seem to be very fond of shutdowns lately. It seems like suicide. But then again, modern governments are very fond of suicide now. In quite a few countries now, if things are really bad off for you, the government will help you with a government-assisted suicide. And of course, I always, I don't know how they do it, but is government-assisted suicide going to be added up amongst the suicide numbers? We talked about that in recent shows that uh, suicide numbers were up 83% uh, of what, you know, what you would think that, no, it was actually 38% up from what they were previously, but numbers like that are always deceptive. They were 83% of a particular category of deaths were the result of uh, suicide. So, the point is, there is this upward mobility of suicides in the country. Where is that coming from? It's coming from the fact that people don't have a sense of purpose. They 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 feel like life is without purpose. They're suffering from massive amounts of depression and PTSD and and all these. Uh, we got these new labels that we can slap on things that say, well, this is your problem. You have a dysphoria with yourself, and therefore you have PTSD. You have a dysphoria with the truth, therefore you have this. And that's really what it comes down to. You know, when Adam and Eve left the garden, they had a dysphoria with staying in the garden. They they didn't feel right about staying in the garden. And they didn't because there was this angel of light sitting there in the middle of the garden and uh, they didn't like the light. Uh, the, the light bothered them and so they wanted to get out of the garden quickly. Now, is the garden even a place? Well, you know, you'll have theologians arguing that. But, of course, we've talked about that as well, explaining that this term that we see in their garden is actually a safe place. It's a protected place. And so that maybe the fact that we left the garden is why so many liberals in colleges are looking for safe places. <laughs> They're trying to find a place where they feel safe. Safe from what? What, what are they afraid of? 
you know, and uh, they actually will make their place safer by making the the place where they're at unsafe for you. They will cancel you. They will yell at you. They will scream at you. They will throw pain on you. They will do all kinds of things to get you away from them because they don't feel safe around you. Because where they, where do they really feel safe? They feel safe in darkness. They, they feel safe away from the light of truth. Truth is what they fear more than anything else. Now, of course, now, if they were right here, they would say, no, we are the ones that are afraid of truth. And of course, I'm not going to divide the world into Republican and Democrat, uh, or liberal and, uh, conservative. Uh, you know, I mean, liberals used to be like libertarians, you know, they, they, they thought, well, you know, free speech was important to liberals. And that's actually the case. When I was a young man and you were a liberal, you were pro-free speech. I mean, many of the things that people were fighting for was, it was the liberals who were fighting for free speech and the conservatives that were trying to restrict speech. Now, often conservatives were trying to restrict speech. Uh, they didn't want you talking about communism. They didn't want you to sing certain songs with with nasty, nasty lyrics or, or say certain words, you know, everything they found offensive. That was the conservatives who found, you know, crude language offensive. But now all the crude language is over on the liberal side. <laughs> and, uh, and if you, if you say things, you know, something controversial like Jesus loves you, oh, that's, that's terrible. We have to stop that. So now the liberals are trying to stop that. So they're against free speech. So you you look at these, you know, I mean the you know, the Democrats were the ones who wanted to enslave all the blacks. The, the Democrats were the ones who were the Ku Klux Klan uh when Woodrow Wilson was in office. Uh he was he was showing uh movies that were Anti-black, anti-freedom of black, anti-civil rights for blacks. And he actually was one of the major instruments in the political government that brought, brought back uh, prejudice uh, towards blacks in, you know, official prejudice towards blacks in like the military. That was Woodrow Wilson. He also brought you the United Nations. He also brought you the Federal Reserve System. He brought you lots of things. And he got in because of kind of a fluke in the election. Because that was when Theodore Roosevelt wanted to run for another term but did not get elected in his party. So therefore he created a new party. So you had Democrats, Republicans, and while well, we had a new party, the Bull Moose Party. And what he did with the Bull Moose Party is he split the vote and Woodrow Wilson got in. Otherwise, Woodrow Wilson and his crazy ideas would have never got into power at that particular time. But things change. This is part of the that river that we find ourselves in, the political river that we have created by writing the Constitution to begin with, by coming to America and having a civil war now, uh, or a revolutionary war. 
and then uh, eventually a civil war. I I just got little bits of it uh, this week, and so I mentioned it because I will try to tie it all in uh, to what we're going to talk about today. Is uh, Jordan Peterson was in an interview with a Muslim, and uh, he also had uh, I can't remember his first name, Peugeot. Uh, I actually probably have it up here. He's also in the Exodus uh, videos that uh, Jordan Peterson is putting together. And uh, so anyway, he's... Uh, uh, let's see if I can remember. Jonathan, yeah. Okay, Jonathan. I was thinking Jacques, but uh, that's uh, that's the underwater guy. But uh, he's an artist, and, and he was talking with Jordan Peterson with this... Muslim, and they were supposedly going to try to have a conversation to come together on some of the issues because Jordan Peterson had uh, made a comment about, you know, he, he addressed a message to the Muslim community or something. And I saw a little bit of that, but I, I don't remember that. But one of the things that came out in this, and I can't remember his name, we'll, maybe we'll revisit it at another time, but the Muslim was bringing out the fact that there was and we hear this reference to, uh, you know, the, our culture, our, our Judeo-Christian culture, and you know, the age of reason, and and John Locke and Montesquieu, and and these different guys who come up with this age of reason. And I've heard people, and I cringe at this, when they talk about the age of reason began at that particular time when these guys began to talk about things from separation of power and human rights and endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. Like, those guys of that particular set of centuries were inventing all these ideas. And they were just coming to light for the first time. Because we're in this this flow of evolution, right? We had already accepted evolution uh, to, a, to a great extent by a lot of people. So the, obviously we're way smarter than the people that were way back in ancient times. But the reality is the age of reason has come and gone. <laughs> uh, just like every bend in the river. And uh, it depends on whether you want to be reasonable or not as to whether you're going to see this age of reason. But he pointed out that even after this age of reason and these ideas and everything, there were still a lot of uh, the death toll. Somebody had calculated up the death toll in different periods of time and amongst different people when they were supposedly in power upon this planet. And... Uh, the death toll amongst the European white Judeo-Christian culture is extremely high. And uh, even with the age of reason. So we're evidently, there's something wrong with our reasoning. Well, the reality is, is John Locke and Hobbes and all these guys, they were just talking about being reasonable. They weren't going to make people reasonable. It's when you start trying to make people reasonable according to your opinion of reason that the death toll starts to rise. I mean, the death toll at the hands of Muslims uh, historically has been tremendous over the years. And you actually, if you go back and study the history of Muhammad you know, originally he was a preacher going and trying to tell people what he believed to be true. And many of the things that he believed were probably true. 
you know, and, uh, you know, I've read some of his early writings. I've read some of the writings that are often, let's call it suppressed by the Muslim communities. I will say communities, because they don't like lumping, you know, millions of people into Muslims over here and Christians over here by some sort of label, because it's not that simple. God created individuals. Individuals have decided to become Muslims or Christians or Jews or what have you. Now, of course, some people say, well, Jews didn't decide to be Jews. They were born Jews. Well, yeah, a lot of people decided to be Jews as well. A lot of people decided to be Christians. But then you have to ask the question, what do you mean by Christian? What do you mean by Jew? What do you mean by Muslim? And and eventually, when you keep asking these questions, you get down to the individual. And the reality is, one of the other things that he mentioned was manifest destiny, as if that was a philosophy that was created by Judeo-Christian, John Locke, uh, philosophies and culture. The Indians, clearly, clearly, according to uh, their own traditions and writings and and their own historical account of themselves, believed in manifest destiny. They believed that they had a manifest destiny with the White Pine Peace Treaty, the White Pine Confederation. And you can, you can look up that, uh, uh, early American Confederation of Preparing You, and we actually have a copy of, I mean, the original wasn't written in language, it was written in what we call, would, might call, or Indians called wampum, these beaded works, so it was literally pictures. Every one of the different clauses, so to speak, of this agreement had, were represented by different pictures. And this, these pictures are explained by somebody who can interpret them. And eventually they've interpreted them and now written them down into English and we have a copy of what they say they mean. And it's very clear that in the context of what they say, this original idea of the white Pine Confederation of Tribes, they believed in manifest destiny. Actually wiping out, genociding tribes that did not go along with their view of what people ought to believe. Now, personally, I don't believe that the original author of this idea of the White Pine Confederation was thinking in the terms of manifest destiny by force. They believed that that if you followed a certain way, you would live long and prosper, if I may coin that phrase. And that's basically what John Locke was trying to say and, and Hobbes. They were trying to figure out what it is that we do that allows us to live long and prosper as a society, as individuals within a society, as whole individuals maintaining our personal endowed rights in a society without relinquishing what makes man a man, what makes woman a woman, which are these rights and responsibilities endowed upon us by God. And and that is what these this age of reason was struggling with. And that's what people were struggling with back at the time of Jesus Christ. That's what they were struggling with back in the time of Moses. 
is this idea of man and woman in a family as an individual procreating the next generation according to the laws of nature and nature's God. And we've talked in the original part of our series on law that the law of nature, another term for our law of nature, is the will of God or the law of God. Or the mind of God. And whatever you want to legislate, whatever you want to create, whatever contract you want to make, it does not alter the will of God or the nature of God. Now, there's a lot of people that are going to come along in there in that little group. We had a Muslim. We had uh, Jordan Peterson. We had uh, Peugeot. They all have an opinion as to what the will of God might be or who God might be. But their opinion doesn't alter it. By the nature of whatever it is that we want to designate as God, God is independent of our opinion. And so understanding those parameters, then we can start looking at the history of mankind, uh, the context of man in that history, the context of man in the law of nature, and try to find out what is our endowed rights by this God of nature, and what is not our endowed rights by this God of nature. When are we stepping outside those laws of nature? Because I believe that it's when we step outside those laws of nature that we fall into the current of nature itself. Because according to the ancient stories and many cultures and many civilizations, when we were endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, what we were given was dominion. Dominion over the land. Dominion over the fish, the animals that live upon the land. Because the animals that live upon the land are just the land animated. Right? I mean, a cow is just animated grass because without the grass the cow doesn't exist anymore he actually turns into soil (laughs) so when he eats the grass and he procreates he creates more calves and those calves eat more grass and they begin to populate the grasslands of the world and uh, they one of the things about cows they hate trees Oh, they like the shade of the tree, but if too many trees grow up, the grass starts to die. So cows, woods, bison, by their nature, are going to destroy trees. But by the tree's nature, he's going to destroy grass. When he gets thick enough, there won't be any blades of grass. And then he will grow in his force, and no cows will enter in because they will starve to death before they get very far. You could supposedly a squirrel could travel from the Atlantic coast across to the Mississippi with never touching the ground when Americans first came here to the Americas. Um, So anyway, we're going to take a look at some of these things and see if we can make sense out of why we are here and what we can do about it and what we should not do about it when we come back to Keys of the King. Welcome 
back to keys of the kingdom. So in the beginning, Genesis two fifteen, he says, "In the Lord God." Interesting two two words there, Lord God. Uh, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, that's that protected place, to dress it and keep it. And it's really still our job to dress and keep the planet because God gave us all this dominion over the world. And uh, our transgressions are when we abandon that project, when we don't dress and keep it, when we don't follow the will of God and again the will of God is the law of nature and so you have this law of nature and the will of God and we've talked about the Ten Commandments the Ten Commandments commandments, uh, as we call them by our translations of the Bible are really trying to explain to you the law of nature and uh we're not going to go into it now, but I'm sure that will irk a lot of people. No, 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 no that has nothing to do with the law of nature. No, if, if the law of nature is the will of God, then yeah, they absolutely should. Just basically with those definitions which have been accepted for centuries upon centuries uh, of the English language. So, the kingdom of God is the dominion of God. It's the right to be ruled by God. And that kingdom of God at least began with Adam and Eve when they were given dominion over all these things. Adam first and then Eve because they began became the progenitors of the society of mankind. Adam was the first man. Woman, Eve, was the first woman. And together they are mankind. And they need each other as a part of this procreation of other men, uh, which started with their two sons, supposedly Adam uh, and Eve produced Cain and Abel. Immediately, we only had two people, and they're hitting each other on the head, or at least one of them is hitting the other one on the head. They're battling with each other. And they're battling with each other because of why? Well, we could go into that, but... The point is, is that there is this conflict. As soon as you get two people on the planet, even though they're supposedly brothers, they can fall into conflict, which would be important uh, in the discussion of Jordan Peterson and the Muslim and all the Muslims. We were talking about they were talking about the death toll, but if you look at the death toll of Muslims as they spread across India, as they spread in Africa, they killed everybody who didn't convert. I mean, that's in their history. Uh, they were killing Jews. They were killing people. Medina, all that stuff. They were killing people who would not convert. They were. That is what Cain... It, you did not conform to Cain's way of doing things. Jealousy and envy came and Cain began to kill. So, I mean, if there's any any philosophy that demonstrates the philosophy of Cain, it's probably found in a religion that says, yeah, it's okay to kill people if they don't think like you. If they don't accept your teachings of the will of God, the will of Allah. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. But, very common. But, yeah, they don't have the death toll that we probably had with World War One and World War Two, although those included Muslims. 
but uh, they were also killing people for a long time with just knives and swords. And we talked previously about over a million people were killed, almost two million people were killed in Gaul by Caesar, Julius Caesar, when he went up there. Now, he didn't kill them all with swords. He, we know he killed like 300,000 with swords and spears, etc., in three battles. Uh, but uh, the toll of millions came about because he burned crops and caused famine. And uh, this led to the death of many other people. And many people died of suicide because the women would not allow their children to be sold into slavery. And that was another thing that Caesar was doing. All this was war crimes. But he got away with those war crimes because he bought the people off with gifts, gratuities, and benefits, which is why philosophers and historians like Plutarch and Polybius warn that the giving of these gifts, gratuities, and benefits are the greatest destroyers of liberty. And that when the masses, with their appetite for those benefits, become accustomed to receiving them by the rule of force, because that's how, that's how he was able to give them what he gave them, was because he he came into Gaul and forced Gaul uh, by murdering millions of people uh, for, and selling uh, tens of thousands and almost a million people, hundreds of thousands of people into slavery. Did he have the money to send to the people of Rome to appease their ardors so that he could get away with those war crimes? And, you know, recently in the news, there's a debate, was was Hitler good? Some people are saying, well, Hitler, you know, he invented the microphone. I'm not sure how accurate that is. Maybe he did. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. But uh, it depends on what, how you use the mic. Um, yeah, I, have a, I also discovered this week that I have a great-grandfather who may have invented a pistol, <laughs> at least on my wife's side, uh, of the... Uh, and I looked up to see, I wonder if we could buy one of those pistols. They're, they're still around, you know. I could, and I found them running between 5000 and $8,000 for a flintlock pistol. So I don't think I'm going to own one. <laughs> so, but anyway, the, the, the thing is that we have this, uh, Hitler did get the trains to run on time. He did do that. Uh, and he was democratically elected. They they cheated in the election. That's historically well accepted. That it wasn't so important that he got the votes. It was important that he got the people who counted the votes. So th- these aren't new issues. Just because we see them going on in the news today. Uh, these are a part of the rapids and uh, rocks of society when you go down certain rivers. But uh, individually, you know, uh, Adolf Eichmann uh, loved children, just loved his grandkids. He didn't love everybody else's kids, though. Uh, and so that's that's an important part of, you know, this law of nature. That the law of nature is that you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, we looked a little bit last week at offices of Rome, and people wonder kind of, why am I bringing that up? Because 
All the offices of government originate in the individual, in those rights and duties endowed upon us by God. That's where all government offices originate, is in the octurus, the authority, the potestas of those offices. And all the office of the emperor originated in the individual. But how the individual comes together, how the individual interacts, the social contracts that the individual either creates directly or indirectly is how those offices are created. They, though, none of those offices have any more power than what was originally invested in man. Now, that power can seem to accumulate the same as, you know, when, when Caesar wanted to kill a million Gauls, he had to send guys out with swords and daggers and spears and occasionally with, you know, catapults and firebrands and stuff like that to kill a million people. That's a lot of work to kill a lot of, you know, a million people with a sword. And so when we look at the death tolls in World War One and World War Two, which I actually found fascinating, that death tolls, 3% of the citizens, 3% of the deaths in World War One was the result, uh, or, or was... If you added them up, it was civilian deaths. Three percent of the deaths in World War One were civilian deaths. In World War Two, over sixty percent of the deaths were civilian deaths. Wow, that's amazing. Went from three percent to actually some figures are sixty-nine percent and even better are civilian deaths, not military deaths. Well, it isn't because necessarily that we were more or less barbaric at different times it was that the method that we used to kill people changed we were now using artillery <laughs> and artillery this is one of the deaths you know they lost over a hundred thousand people in one battle when Caesar went into Gaul hundred thousand people it would be centuries, you know, I mean, we there were numerous, once Rome fell, there would be centuries and centuries before that kind of death toll took place in a single battle. Because Rome had developed this way in which to kill or to fight wars that allowed for the killing of 100,000 people in a single battle. Uh, just astonishing uh, numbers that you're, you're dealing with. But the reality is that this this uh, idea of killing 100,000, we see it again, certainly in the Civil War, in a single battle, tens of thousands of people uh, hit the dust within hours. And then, again, though, one of the things, it was the improvement in the musketry and uh, stupid mistakes like, you know, frontal charges, <laughs> you know, where everybody's running across a big open field towards guns that, you know, when the, in the, the American uh, Civil uh, Revolutionary War, uh, 
men wore big heavy wool coats and they would march with these big heavy wool coats. Those wool coats could stop many musket balls. They couldn't stop a cannonball, but they could stop musket balls because they were felt and heavy. Uh, they woven together. The armor of uh, the guy in Braveheart uh, was made out of felt. Uh, and then eventually they, they would also put chain mail over the felt. And then, But the reality is that that felt worked as a sort of armor. But nowadays with the 22-250 or uh, uh, 223 bullet or 308 bullet uh, armor-piercing round, it could go through about a 100 soldiers and still be going felt or no felt. <laughs> so that improvement in technology has caused a lot of the deaths uh, of people. Most of the people uh, started to die of artillery, but in the the American Civil War, still a lot of the casualties, maybe most of the casualties, was disease. If if we're talking combat casualties, it was artillery. But if we're talking overall fatalities, it's disease. And so, trying to say that somehow or other the Judeo-Christian culture is uh, more barbaric because it killed more people, it's just that we're better at it, which is often why we win. And we're better at it because we've been more innovative. We're more innovative because we see certain things that a lot of other cultures just don't see because they're preoccupied in cultures that actually draw you into the darkness. And and now, now that's people are going to think that that's racist, but culture matters. That if you make certain choices in your culture, your society is not going to progress. And we know that. For a fact, because we've seen societies that have progressed, those of us who actually study history, they progressed, they've invented plumbing, they've invented uh, uh, healthcare, they invented uh, all kinds of things, uh, you know, shipping and commerce and metallurgy, and they and their societies are wealthy and their societies are well fed and the societies are prospering, death rates drop at one time in Roman history. Uh, death rate for children was about 50% of the children that were born would make it to 10 years of age. But now, if you think that that number has steadily decreased, no. It actually has increased, then decreased, then increased, then decreased, and the factors for that have a lot to do with culture. And what goes on. But we see these civilizations that progress up to a point of tremendous success and development and lifespan and health and, uh, you know, death rate diminishes. And then all of a sudden they plummet down as a society and they collapse. And they can't even fix the things that they invented. They don't know how to fix them. They don't know how to fix the plumbing. And the society continues to degenerate and to collapse into an almost totally primitive society and then starts working its way back up again. What are the factors that create that? Because that's what you're seeing in society now. If, if we could, you know, if I could come with a magic wand or a magic staff and just suddenly make all your problems go away that you see with the economy and, and, 
and inflation and and crime and all these things, you can make it go away. You would still plummet, plummet as a society because the presence of those difficulties, the presence of the rocks and the currents of the river in which you find yourself is not the cause of the problem. That is the effect. If you if you remove the symptom, you will not remove the cause. So understanding the cause is very important. In order to get down to the fundamentals of those causes, though, we have to get down to the fundamentals of society. And this is why when we read in Matthew 21.43, and it says, Therefore say I unto the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Now that that's a statement that Jesus makes to the Pharisees that he's going to take the kingdom away. And we just jump thousands of years of man's history from Adam all the way up to this kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is the dominion that God gave Adam and Eve. And therefore Cain and Abel and Seth and all these generations were given the kingdom of God. Adam certainly lost some dominion. He still had dominion over the, over the land, etc. But he lost some access to the tree of life and even the tree of knowledge. And he lost some access to those, those instruments or sources of knowing how to deal with the kingdom, how to manage that dominion, how to exercise those rights, because he tried to decide for himself rather than decide according to the tree of life. Because the tree of life would show Adam. The tree of life is this inspiration. This is how you know the will of God. This is this is the enlightenment. We, that's why we call it enlightenment. It's because men are getting close to the light. And, and starting to figure out the bits and pieces of understanding their place in the law of nature and nature's God. Their place in the dominion of God. And their struggle to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, if you don't seek the righteousness of God, you will not find the kingdom of God. And so... Yeah, they began, Locke and them started thinking about things. Jefferson started thinking about things. But everything they decided to do, uh, the people decide to do is not righteous. And one of those things that is not righteous, and we know from way back at the beginning of the story, is it's not right for Cain to force his brother to see things his way. Or to do things his way. This is a fundamental. Let's write that down. Okay, you're not to strong arm your brother, kill your brother, oppress your brother, force your brother, uh, take away. From, you're not even to want to take away from your brother to get what you want. That's a fundamental in the law of nature. If you decide to do that, you will end in destruction. It will bring about destruction. You'll hit your head on one of those rocks in the river. Jordan Peterson tells a story about this idea of this hierarchy where he talks about uh, somebody who studied chimps. And you would think that, you know, the chimp, head chimp, is simply the head chimp because he's the biggest and he's the strongest and everybody is afraid of him. 
and they have to do what he says or he will beat them up. And according to scientists, this is actually rather rare that you will find a chimp uh, society that organizes itself along those lines. If they do, it usually ends very violently and badly for that chimp. Because eventually that chimp is going to get old. It's built into the law of nature. He's <laughs> going to get old. And he's going to depend upon all those guys he oppressed. And he has taught them oppression. He's taught them violence. He has taught them how to seize control by taking control. And that's what happens to him. They just destroy him. They eat him. That's actually the way it will usually come out is they not only will tear him from limb to limb, they will consume him because he spent his life taking a bite out of them to control them, to take away their uh, control of their own lives and so that, that that's, that's the end that he has written into his own destiny by his actions. The same is true with man and woman. The same is true with the family. And this is going to be very important as we progress through this uh, that this outline. But ultimately, the kingdom of God is broken down into the single individual rights. The individual rights of man and woman and the family that they create. That is the building block of the kingdom of God. That That is the ultimate institution of God, is the family. And, and it is the prime example of the character of God in us, because we create the family. We procreate the family. Man and woman procreate the family. So, Jesus is saying this kingdom, this dominion, that was given to Adam and now is in the hands of the Pharisees is going to be taken away from the Pharisees and it's going to be given to someone else to bring forth fruit. And the interesting thing is, it says, and given to a nation, a people, bringing forth the fruits thereof. So in seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, not only brings forth fruit, you don't even get to the point unless you start to produce fruit. So it's kind of left foot, right foot thing. So, did Jesus do that? Well, in Luke 19.32, he says, Fear not, little flock, talking to his apostles, and maybe to the 70, the, the, this little flock of people, not to the whole general crowd, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's going to give it to them. And we see in Luke twenty-two, twenty-nine, And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me. So they get a kingdom, a dominion that was given to that little flock by Jesus Christ who was the rightful king. But there were limitations put on them at that time, Luke twenty-two, twenty-five, And we see this in Mark and Matthew as well. And in the principle of it is certainly in John and in the epistles we can show you. But he said, and actually we can go all the way back to David and Proverbs and we see the same principles repeated there. And he says, and he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles, that's all the other nations, exercise lordship over them and them that exercise authority upon them, rule over them, are called benefactors. 
because they provide the people with things that they need. They provide them with protection. They provide them with a daily administration of food. Uh, they de- provide them with benefits, you know. And we know that this whole idea of the government providing benefits, I mean, goes way back to, well, Plutarch at that time, to Polybius 150 years before, and you can go all the way back to more and more ancient times where the benefit of society comes by the way of somebody. But he talks about they provide benefits in these nations by exercising authority. But ye shall not be so. So how are we going to provide benefits for one another in the kingdom of God if we don't exercise authority one over the other? This is key to understanding Christianity. Because if you're depending on men who exercise authority to provide your daily ministration, your daily bread, you're not in the kingdom. And you're certainly not being righteous because you're being like Cain. You're forcing the contributions of the people. And that's not where we should be going. And that's what we need to explore. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, we're going to try to solve this problem as to uh, why so many rocks in the river that is dashing the people to pieces. What's going on? And there's a, there's a lot of different sources of the problem. But by going back to this original idea that all the problems of the world, all the powers of the world, all these things begin deep down inside every individual that every individual together are are creating the chaos that we see before us because every individual is not seeing the truth they're not approaching the light they're not seeing what it is that all these philosophers were trying to find which is this uh, repose and righteousness of the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God because that's what we're supposed to be seeking. In order to see it, uh, we have to see that we're caught up in all kinds of other things that are not it. That And that's mostly what people have to go through, is they have to go through a process of saying, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it, and see what it, in order to find what it is. So we're supposed to be seeking this kingdom of God and His righteousness, and uh, that kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of the Gentiles uh, that operate by exercising authority one over the other even though they call themselves benefactors we're going to help you out We're gonna, I'm here from the government and I'm here to help I'm going to help you by taking away from somebody else and, and I'm going to force that other person to provide me with what I want that's Cain that's the spirit of Cain that's the spirit of destruction. That's the spirit of death. But that is the spirit of Cain. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, how else are we going to operate as a society if we don't force these 
sluggards to contribute because they, they'll, they'll live in society and they'll contribute nothing to it and they'll get away with it. No, no, nobody gets away with anything in the law of nature. God is not slack. The, the law of nature, there is a delay and that's a good thing for you because if it wasn't, Every time you screwed up, a bolt of lightning would come out of the sky and fry you. <laughs> but God doesn't work that way. He gives you an opportunity to learn along the way. Some people don't learn so easy. So, this idea of not turning your government into benefactors that exercise authority, pretty simple idea. And, of course, you would not do such a thing if you did not covet your neighbor's goods, if you covet your neighbor's goods, then you will make excuses like, yeah, oh, you know, I want my student loans paid off and so therefore I want to force other people to pay them off. You know, I, I want Medicare, Medicaid. You know, I, I saw an interesting uh, and looked at, I didn't go through it in detail. I'm not really interested in it, but uh, the reality is, is if if you're on Social Security, if you get on to Social Security, you have a window to sign up for things like Medicare and Medicaid and things like that, so these extra benefits. If you don't sign up for some of those benefits, you literally can be penalized as to the amount of benefits you get if you don't sign up. I mean, you may get less benefits in the long run from your original Social Security if you don't sign up for the other benefits that they have, like if you become 72, now some of these rules may have changed, but over the years I've seen them, where uh, uh, it's compulsory. You have to take the check <laughs> if you're in that system. And I thought that, I would just found that to be fascinating, is that uh, uh even though you don't need the benefit, maybe you're wealthy enough, you don't need it, you can be penalized. Because I assume that they're assuming that you're not signing up for the extra benefits because you don't need them because you're well-fixed. And so they, they assume because you're well-fixed, you don't need as much of the original benefit either. So they will, you, that will actually decrease if you don't take more. It's kind of like you get to eat at their table, but if you... If you are fasting and don't eat as much as everybody else, <laughs> they will give you less at the table. So, I mean, it's almost like they, they're compelling you to overeat and become obese. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, it's an interesting principle that just comes out. I don't know if they planned it or what, but you see it. And that, you know, I'm, that's what I'm always looking at is patterns. If you go back to Psalm 69.22, David is saying, let their table become a snare before them. And that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. So he's saying that their table will become a snare. And, and Paul quotes David in the New Testament, so it's not irrelevant. A lot of people say, well, that's the Old Testament. We don't need to look at that. No, the Old Testament and the New Testament are actually complementary. They're both witnesses of the same principles. Because God is the same the law of nature is the same. The law of God is the same. The will of God is the same. I know there are some people trying to say that Jesus changed that and that God suddenly was, he's now 
we're now second-guessing God that he didn't really know what he was doing before and he had to change everything. No, it's the same. Moses and Jesus were in agreement. But David says in Romans 11, 9, uh, excuse me, Paul says about David in Rome 11, 9, and David saith, let their table be a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Why? Because their tables are covetous tables. They are set by taking away from others, by forcing others, by plowing the possessions of others for their benefit. And then they can now share with you, just like Caesar did when he plowed through Gaul and killed a million Gauls and uh, and stole their women and stole their children and sold them into bondage, into perpetual bondage, so that you in Rome could have more benefits. Isn't that what we do with our military-industrial complex now? Aren't we making corporations richer and richer and richer by a lot of the choices that we make? I mean, we think, oh, you know, the war and the Crimea and... and uh, over there with Putin and all that stuff. It's about freedom. No, it's it's about money. It's about using up military armaments that will have to be replaced and people will make billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. And and the dependence on oil, you know, blowing up this pipeline and blowing up that pipeline makes people have to buy oil from over here. That makes our oil, our cash flow going. Now, you and me, we're, we might not be making those decisions, but other people are making decisions that that people have to die and fight each other and murder each other so that we can sell more military industrial productions and all the little skirmish wars and everything that's what they're really all about there are people actually wanting those wars to take place so that they will make more money and why is that taking place because there's a partnership between corporations and the government and and you you'll see it in Australia is a great example of this that they don't really care about the people. All the science is saying that the shutdown has caused more damage than good, but they won't see it. They won't admit it. And uh, and we can talk about a lot of the, uh, you know, they, they're bent on their utopia, whatever that is. Uh, and uh, I use the word of utopia. I came across a, a TV show that came out in uh, September of 2020, and uh, starring John Cusack, very violent show. I don't recommend it at all. But the theme of this show is that they create fear and panic with pandemics, artificially creating pandemics. This is a TV show. I'm not making this up. It's a sci-fi TV show. That they create this fear and panic in everybody's mind. And because they create an, a fake pandemic, they actually they spread it. Well, I won't give away the spoiler alerts. I won't give away. But they, they, their deaths are creating. They know they're killing children with this fake pandemic. And, and it's actually a disease, but it's not. It, you actually have to touch these uh, things in order to get the disease. But the kids are dying. And and uh, there's all this 
panic, and then they come up with a vaccine. In the, this is the plot of the show. Cusack comes up with a vaccine that everybody was just clamoring for. Millions and millions of doses are going to go out to all the people, and they're all going to take these millions and millions of doses, and they're designed to sterilize the world population in order to save the planet. We have to save the planet. And actually, the the heroes who are fighting against this, they don't even know what the plot is. They just know that these are murderers after them and all this stuff. And uh, But John Cusack actually persuades some of them to join him in this crusade to sterilize the planet. And I think that's the first season. <laughs> it came out in uh, September of 2020. And it was on TV. You can see it actually taking place. So, who knows? What 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 is the significance of that? <laughs> but, but now we're, we're having people like Asim uh, Mohotra, as well as all the numerous scientists. I ought to add him to our numerous scientists page at uh, uh, Preparing You. And he's coming out. He's a cardiologist saying that the vaccines are are more dangerous than the disease that more people are going to be dying from them than the disease. And he's a scientist. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to follow the science here. You know me. I'm not I'm not advocating anything. <laughs> but, uh, but the reality is, if we go back to our study on, which is why we started on the minor prophets, our mountains of Samaria, our sources of truth, where we go to find out what is true, have been corrupted. And this is one of the things that Asim, he's a Norwegian doctor. He was just on an interview with uh, Tucker Carlson and he, and uh, actually if you get a hold of us on the network, we have links to uh, his uh, speech uh, uh, it, talking about what he has been discovering. You know, the I think it was a speech at the Norwegian uh, Doctors Alliance. And you can find all that. But that's not the subject. The point is, is that that's just one of those boulders in the river. The one of those uh eddies that can pull you under is this this COVID thing. It's not the only boulder. It's not the big waterfalls that's down the river somewhere that will send people crashing to their deaths by the millions. But uh it's part of this journey. You either you're either seeking the dry land of Christ and the kingdom of God, uh to come out on the right side of the river or you're going to be washed away with the currents of society. And it's because we have strayed from the basics. And one of those, one of those basics, just one of those basics is that we should not covet our neighbor's goods, even through men who exercise authority. And we've, Cain has created the first city state. Nimrod did this. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah did this. Uh, Pharaoh did this where they could put taskmasters over the people and force the contributions of the people but Moses was creating a system that had no taxation at tithing but that's free will offerings to the person of your choice but they had no taxation yet it was a society that produced a certain kind of person but if you stray from any part of the formula laid down in that law of nature Disaster will come of it, and even if you're if you have a little chimp colony and you decide to rule your chimp colony with the biggest baddest uh, chimp, 
it will end in his destruction. If you have a family and you want to rule and oppress your wife, and uh, which is easily tempted to do, because a lot of times the men is bigger and stronger and, and all this stuff, and the woman is more agreeable, and, and you can be tempted to oppress your wife and to use her for your personal gratification rather than for to be fruitful on the face of the earth, the kingdom of God. You know, f- fulfill your job as the holder of dominion of the planet and procreate the next generation. That's a job of service. That's an office. And like I said, all the offices of governments are based on the law of the family. In, in the book Covenants of the Gods, one of the first thing I talk about is the Anoitus, which are the family laws. Because all laws, all governments, are based on the law of the family. And that's why Caesar was called Patronus, our father who art in Rome. That's why the senators were called conscripted patres, conscripted fathers. Because all laws, all these offices that we will go over and look at, and we've, we've, we're going to do a review of them eventually here if we get to them. They're all based on the law of the family. But if you don't understand family, you won't understand how you're strained from the family. If you don't understand the kingdom of God and how it works, if you don't understand the law of nature, you will stray from the law of nature and suffer accordingly. Uh, you know, one of the first chapters in the Covenants of the Gods, oh, these are books that I've written. They're free online. You can download them, read them. Uh, you know, we're not trying to keep, you know, the, the truth from people. We're trying to share the truth to people. But one of the first things we talk about is marriage and marriage licenses and where they came from. Because a marriage license is a civil institution. And it actually... Uh, it, it, it appears back in ancient Rome. It appears back in Babylon. It appears in Ur. It, it appears uh, for us. It, it's in Rhodes, uh, although we're really using Roman civil law a lot. But in our more modern history, we see it with Marie Antoinette's brother. We get a little, little bit of that history where the union of a man and a woman, which is a natural relationship under the law of nature, suddenly becomes a civil relationship through the institution of a marriage license by the state. And now, the terms of that union will not be written by you and your spouse or your parents and your spouse. In a frank marriage, you write the terms of that union. You and God. God being the will of God and the law of nature. That's what writes the terms of your union as man and woman. But if you get a marriage license, now the state will write the terms. And the interesting thing, which we explained in those articles, which you can go read in chapters, etc. We have lots of articles on it, is that those rules are constantly changing. And unfortunately, they're often changing for the benefit of the state rather than the benefit of the family. And the more authoritarian the state becomes, the more those rules will change for the benefit of the state and not for the family. Because the state 
wants to own your children, which is where parents' patria comes in, which is why, of course, Jesus is saying, call no man on earth father. Because what you want to, if you're going back to the kingdom, you're, you're walking away from, you're turning away from the ways of the world, the constitutional orders and systems of government, and towards the, the natural ways of God. Now, again, going back to it, if a man is oppressing his wife, if he is dictating, if he is ruling over his wife, he will eventually be oppressed. If he's oppressing his children, he will be oppressed. And the same as that chimp. If he's going to rule because he's the meanest, baddest chimp in the, the, the little clan of chimps, then eventually he will be torn apart and destroyed. Can you imagine a father raising up his children and he just browbeats them and bosses them around and he abuses them and he even abuses his daughters and and he does all kinds of terrible things. Who's going to take care of that man when he's older? His sons? His daughters? Are they going to take care of him? No. They're going to abuse him. Lord, they will just abandon him altogether and let him die in a ditch somewhere. What goes around comes around. And when you are raised up in a family, in a, a community of families, creating the social bonds of a free society, you see this because all these different levels of that society are present all the time. I mean, with Cain and Abel, they, they saw... Adam and Eve, and they saw themselves. <laughs> Supposedly, they didn't see anybody else. Supposedly, that's the way we're led to believe. I'm not going to go into the if ands, or buts about that. But the reality, in the natural society, you see grandparents, you see great-grandparents, you see uh, young parents, you see young kids, you see middle-aged kids, you see all these different microcosms of this unit called the family. And you see, like... I don't want to be like that guy's parents. They're abusive. They're mean. Uh, and because they, they, you know, once you see one chimp torn apart, so <laughs> abandoned and abused, you're going to say, well, I'm not going to treat my kids like that guy treated his kids. And you're going to learn from that process. And so, you know, a lot of people, because I write about marriage license and I explain what marriage license is, and I just came across somebody who had that same confusion. Uh, no, uh, I'm not advocating no marriage license. I'm not advocating marriage license. That's not my job to advocate one way or the other. My job is to tell you what happens if you go, you can go down this river, you can go down that river, but when you're giving the power to the state, which ultimately, according to George Washington, is force. The government is force. <laughs> That's what it is. It's the brute. It's the biggest dang brute on the block. Um, it's going to end badly. It's going to end badly. But in the meantime, that you may need those civil unions because you haven't yet found the kingdom. This is why Christ starts with seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So you have to do that. Otherwise, your utopia will become a dystopia rather quick. And that's actually what we see going on. But let's equate this. We're running out of time here. Uh, let's equate this real quick to this idea of uh, 
the pater familias in Rome, the head of the family was called uh, in the time of Rome, the pater familias. And the pater familias had a tremendous amount of power over the even the life and death of his family. But of course, in nature, he has tremendous power over the life and death of his family because if he doesn't protect them, they're going to get eaten up. Trinosaurus Rex is going to come in, uh, supposedly, or uh, whatever predator is going to come in, the saber-toothed tiger is going to come in. So he is standing between them and all those dangers of the world, uh, as well as famine and starvation and everything, that he is an essential part of this because... The governor, the natural governor of the law of nature is an unmerciful governor. It it is a ruthless governor. If you don't produce enough food to get through the winter, you're going to starve. If you don't fight off the uh, monsters of the dark, they will eat you and your children up. And uh, the same is as they come together in a society. The paterfamiliuses come together. Each family is this autonomous unit, but they come together and start to form this society. Multiple family units coming together. Now, they needed to do that to fight, to hunt, to to survive uh, in hard times. And then as society became more sophisticated at different times, because I think we've had very high degrees of civilization at different times in our history. And then they decreased. They fell out of favor. They decayed. They they crumbled. And knowing what those factors are on the grand scale is is important and is also you're capable of knowing them on the small scale with each individual microcosmic family. Because just as if if Caesar starts to oppress the people, which we see with Julius Caesar, he wasn't even the emperor yet. He had been a general. He crossed the Rubicon with his soldiers and uh, was beginning to set up the Roman Empire. And uh, and his own partners, his, his own allies came in and stabbed him. What, 23 times? Stabbed him. At two brute, stabbed him. In order to restore the republic, that was their goal, to restore the republic. But you can't restore a republic with violence. Uh, which is why many of the American Revolutionary War battles killed nobody, though, which I've mentioned several times. Is that violence alone is not going to institute the peace necessary for a free society. Nobody knew this better than Christ. And that, you know, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. If you live in your family, if you are the brute in your family, uh, shouting down your wife, ruling with his fist over your children, uh, gonna end badly. Gonna end badly. You're not gonna end up in the kingdom of God. You're gonna king of some lesser God. <laughs> the kingdom of Satan. That's where you're gonna be and maybe not even get that. So, you, you, this idea of ruling with love. God created the world. God created man. God created woman. God created life on this planet out of what we call life. The tree of life should be called as easily the tree of love. 
But it isn't the passionate, selfish love that we often see today where people talk about lovemaking. No. No, that's, that's the cat and bird love. You know, the cat loves the bird, but the bird get eaten up because of his love for the bird. <laughs> you want the real love, the love that giveth life. And that love is equated with light. It is equated with life. And it is equated with where we need to want to go. And we'll talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after another brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And... uh, so this idea of offices of power and offices of service is something that we're going to explore in great detail because that is the key to liberty under God is understanding when are you creating an office of service and when are you creating an office of power and what are the repercussions of that. And of course to understand that We have to go back to the family because all the powers of all the offices, of all the governments, of all the world originated originally in the individual. And the individual, man, is literally an office in a sense. It's an office of God. God created man and he gave him duties. The duties of dressing and keeping it, which we talked about at the beginning of the show. And that those duties are the duties of his office as man. But of course, he's not going to live forever. So God also has another office that is an office of the family. There's at least two offices in the family to begin with. Actually, there's three, always three offices in the family. <laughs> I guess uh, if we're looking at this from a system point of view, I, and you could almost even say there has to be four, but there's a man and a woman. Well, that sometimes is, uh, we can break that office down into husband and wife. The husband is a husbandman. He's taking care of the whole unit of man and woman. And the wife is this other part of that union, which is absolutely essential if the man and woman are going to become father and mother, which are another offices. These are aspects of the offices of man. A man can be a husband and a father and a son. <laughs> They can be, he can be all three of those different offices, and each one has certain duties and responsibilities. And a woman can be a wife, and a mother, and a daughter. She can be all three of those things. So each of those words, remembering that words are representative, uh, you know, symbols of ideas, these offices of daughter, offices of mother, offices of husband, offices of father, are offices of man and woman. And man and woman are the two main offices of this thing we call mankind. Because both man and woman are men. But woman is a man with a womb, and a man doesn't have a womb. <laughs> and so, But they need each other in order to create those sons and daughters, which is the perpetuation of society. It's built into nature. We see it in all the animals. We see it all over creation. There are other forms of reproduction and replication, but basically amongst most species, there's a male and a female, and that's how you get the next generation. Because almost every creature 
gets old and dies. There, there actually is a creature that seems to get young. <laughs> it, it starts old and it gets young. Believe it or not, but that's a, a it's a, it's a small, insignificant creature. But there seem always seems to be the, you know, the platypuses of creation. You know, is that a mammal? It lays eggs. It has a bill like a duck. I mean, what is it? But uh, the reality is the principles of creation are still found in all these different patterns. So we have this man and woman, and in the Romans they had, the man was called a pater familias. He was the oldest father in the family. He was the elder. And, and you'll find, and we have articles on elder, when you see the word elder in the Greek text of the Bible, and they translate it into the English word elder, People think that that's an office of the church. Well, it's not actually an office of the church. It's an office of the family. The eldest member of a family, male member of the family, is the pater familias. And he will have sons. And when they want to get married, they will go to him to get permission to get married. If you don't go to your father for permission to get married, but you go to the state, then chances are the state has now taken on part of the authority that used to be vested in the pater familias. It's now in the hands of the state. So you have to go to the state to get, and license is permission to do that, which you could not do by law before. You say, well, I don't need a license to get married. I can just get married. You can't get a license married marriage unless you get a license that's it so you have to get a permission to get a state licensed marriage in most states you can actually do it without getting a license in some states because they recognize common law marriages but the point is is that they will recognize at at the slightest drop of a hat or a pen they will recognize your common law marriage as if you had gotten a marriage license and if you don't know where those pitfalls are it will do you no good. And again, I'm not advocating people get married without licenses or with licenses. I just want you to understand what they are. And I want you to understand what they are so that you can find your way back to the kingdom of God. And back in the kingdom of God is where you have all your natural rights, those endowed rights by your creator. Those are all natural rights. Those are not civil rights. Civil rights are privileges granted to you by the civil authority. Remember, everything, governments are replicating all the principles that you find in the law of nature, but according to their own design. So you'll have one civil government that allows this and another civil government that doesn't. And, but the, and the definition of civil law is the men, the law that men make for themselves. The natural law is not the law you make for yourself. The natural law already exists. And whether you like it or not, you are subject to the law of nature. Because unless you're going to create another nature and get into another dimension, you're subject to the law of nature. And that's why it's important to understand what the law of nature is. Because if you think manifest destiny through force is going to produce... Your utopia, you got another guess coming. Because, uh, and you will need that guess. Because that's not what is, your utopia will become a dystopia. If, if you 
think your manifest destiny can be arrived at by force, like Cain thought, uh, you're, you're headed for destruction. You're headed for disaster. So, this goes for the microcosm family, and it goes for the microcosm congregation. It goes for the microcosm community. It goes for the general community. It goes for the national community. It goes for the whole planet. And so, you do not get to utopia with deception. You do not get to utopia with force. You do not get to utopia by taking a bite out of one another, by taking from one another, by coveting one another's goods. You do not get to utopia by borrowing against the future. You see, now I've just mentioned coveting. Uh, force, that would be like killing and robbing. Those are forceful things. You know, I take away your life by force. Uh, I, maybe I just, I don't take away your whole life. Maybe I just cut off 10% of your life. I cut off one of your arms by force. <laughs> Somehow or other, I'm, I'm moving towards utopia when I exercise such authority. Uh, I take away some of your stuff. I, I, okay, I won't take away your arm. I won't cut off your arm. Because I want you to work the field. But let's take away 10% of your stuff. Can I take away 10% of your stuff without violating the law of nature that will come back and bite me? Yeah, I can't, I can't take away 10% of your stuff. I couldn't take away 50% of your stuff. I couldn't take away 40% of your stuff. It would, it would come back and bite me even quicker if I did that. But if I just took 10% of your stuff away without your choice, without your consent, you know, created some sort of system where I could take away 10% of your stuff, 10% of what you produce, 10% of your life, because what you produce is the result of your sweat, your toil, your effort, your time, your heartbeats on this planet. If I take away 10% of your stuff, if I set up a system where I have a right to take away 10% of your stuff, I got more power than you. You have... You have power over 90% of your stuff. And I have power over 10% of your stuff. Plus I have power over 100% of my stuff. <laughs> that, was a, that was an interesting story that came out. They, they hired 80,000 new or 80, 85,000 new IRS agents. And somebody did a survey and discovered that like... 30% of the IRS agents that already exist haven't paid all their taxes. <laughs> and somebody suggested that they have an audit of the IRS agents they already have that haven't paid their taxes <laughs> and that they shouldn't be allowed to collect taxes from other people. These are armed IRS agents. They're not, they're not CPAs. I guess they might be CPAs, but they get to carry a gun too. If you think that, you know, that we're not about to face the meanest, broodiest chimpanzee <laughs> in the, in the clan. You got another guest coming, but it's going to end badly. They don't see that. They think, you know, the Noah Hararis and Great Reset people of the world, they think that they can 
through subterfuge and lying and deception and brute force can reset society and to and create a utopia. They think they can do that. But I'm telling you, the tactics they're using, the means that they are using is going to end badly for them. Their utopia is going to become a dystopia. And I'm just giving you... I've been down the river. I I know what's coming around the bend. I'm trying to get you not only to prepare, but to be able to be pulled out of the river and be separate from the river. And there's no reason until you start learning these basic lessons that you need to learn within your own families, your own network of congregations because a congregation is a microcosm of a family and congregations of congregations is the way Israel was organized in the tens, hundreds and thousands each family was absolutely a central building block but the spirit that dwelled in that family was going to dwell in that congregation of ten families now you got ten separate families there, so one of those families might be a little bit more, you know, the, the dad is just kind of a brute, and uh, maybe he doesn't beat his wife, but he, he shoved her around a bit, you know, and uh, and uh, yells at his kids, and uh, uh, he uh, they're all trembling, you know, and dad's all, we got to watch what we do and everything. I mean, he should have a certain amount of respect, but that respect needs to come from love. Not from brute force. You know, I always say a father never gives up his right to spank his child. But uh, if he has to spank his child, he's probably failed in the true role of a father somewhere before. And we won't go into those stories, but... uh, we have articles up on that subject. Spare the rod and spoil the child. That's this, that's an abused quote from the Bible, <laughs> to say the least. So you can go look up rod if you want to know what the answer is there. But the reality is all these principles I'm talking about in good government start in good families. Start within the family. It's It's going to be the fathers respect their sons and their daughters and their daughters and their sons learn to respect their father and their mother. And and even though they grow up, they get married in frank marriages and they have, you know, they become husband and wife, they become father and mother and they begin to have their own children. They should be a continuation of the spirit of their own father. And if their own father was imperfect, <laughs> as, as most of us are, then they need to bring that correction into the the whole family. How do they do that? Do they start yelling and screaming at their father and their mother and start bossing around and start getting elderly abuse? No. How does a woman have power and influence in the family. Well, there's lots of different ways that a woman can do that. But a good woman does it in a, a particular fashion. And I tell you, the real power, every one of us has a lightsaber in our heart. The potential of a lightsaber in our heart. 
the stories about lightsabers. Because that's the truth. That's the light of the truth. It's not your truth. It's not their truth. It's the truth. It's, it's the actual truth. And if you have a place in your heart for the truth, which means you have to see the truth about yourself. If you have a place in your heart for the truth, the whole truth, in your heart, then you will have a lightsaber in your heart that when you come into the room with, if you're a woman, you come in with your husband, or if you're a man, you come in with your wife, you will bring that lightsaber with you. You won't even know it. It will lighten up the room. And it will make it difficult for evil to prevail in that room and in in the actions and reactions of the family. Evil men, psychopaths who get married and dominate their wives, abuse their wives, manipulate their wives, or we could reverse that. The women there are women who have powers to do the same thing. And we we have words for that. But they're still psychopaths, but they use different tactics often. There's a power over those men that a woman can manifest. But she has to find that within herself. And it has to do with finding the truth about herself. If she denies the truth in her own heart, she will have no effective way of dealing with the psychopaths of the world. The men need to understand that too because... We, we're not really cavemen fighting off Trianosaurus Rex and everything. The evils of this world are just as dangerous as the saber-toothed tigers. Just as dangerous as the, uh, you know, whatever monsters are out there in nature. And, you know, the serpents of the world. Just as dangerous. And you need the light of the truth dwelling in your heart. That Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart to do battle with the evil that is coming. Now, what's happened is the whole world has gone whoring after covetousness. And covetousness is idolatry and their gods are actually the gods of old that devour babies. I mean, we see all the abortion that we've seen today is not the result of the fact that somebody legalized abortion. And it will not go away because you make abortion illegal. I'm not saying pro or con one way or the other. I'm just saying it won't go away because you you make it illegal. Remember, civil law is the law that you make for yourselves. What you need to do is get back to the law of nature and nature's God and the will of God. Because then you would have the instruments of salvation, the full armor of salvation. You'd be able to do something about the spirit that dwells in Moloch. Moloch supposedly devoured children. You know, the people actually sacrificed their children on the, the burning altars of Moloch. Well, that's actually taking place today. You know, in abortion clinics where they have whole truckloads of dead baby bodies traveling around. That was in the story just before the show started in Texas. It's supposedly outlawed abortion. Well, what, where is the real power? The real power is in the way of God, in the way of Christ. But the way of Christ isn't going to church and mumbling words over and over again. It's actually getting immersed 
in the Holy Spirit, which is a baptism of fire. Because it's not going to be comfortable because you're going to have to see the truth about yourself. So if you want, before governments will change, men must change. So I'm, I'm equating with all the powers that we see coming down in the world today in these uh, offices of government. We have offices of government. The guy in charge of uh, what? Spent rods in the nuclear power industry and works for the United States. He's, uh, I don't know all the terms, but he's bi-gender or whatever. <laughs> Bisexual, I don't know, like a worm or what? I don't know what it means. But anyway, he dresses like a woman and he shaves his head and he puts lipstick on. It's all kind of bizarre, but a lot of those things are bizarre no matter how you look at them. Uh, That's not the problem. That that's the symptom. It's an extreme symptom, but it's it's the symptom. The fact that the president you have is having the senility problems that he has, and saying that you know the, the debt is good. That's the thing that I've seen coming across. Uh, there were people are talking about debt is good. In what context? Debt is not necessarily good. Debt can be very bad. Uh, and uh, this dysphoria about gender and the child mutilation that we see going on, these are symptoms of, you know, the new normal is a symptom of the old normal. And the old normal wasn't righteous. What we were doing in the 60s and 70s was not righteous. You know, one of the things that in studying history you'll see that that you see the cause of destruction of societies. Whole nations go into decay and collapse within two generations. Tremendous success, collapse within two generations. Uh, they might have been around for 400 years, 500 years, but and, and successful for hundreds of years. But all of a sudden, something takes place in society and there is a collapse of society. Absolute, utter collapse in two generations. And one of those factors is the sexual revolution. Sexual re- revolution comes about, they say, it comes about, they say you got two years and society will, will decay and collapse. Well, people say, well, we can't have a sexual revolution. We have to, you know, we have to have very strict Puritan approach to all this stuff. The sexual revolution was an effect of a cause that came before it. If you just avoid the sexual revolution, doesn't mean you're going to avoid destruction. What caused the sexual revolution? Oh, there was a, there was another revolution that took place before the sexual revolution. Actually, you could see it. It wasn't just the 60s sexual revolution. You could go back to the flappers of the 20s. But you go back... Even before the 20s, what was taking place? What was taking place before the Civil War? What was what degenerates society? And we see society on a grand scale, but then how do we translate this within the family? Which is the building block, because it's the microcosm. If a cell beca- deviates from its DNA structure in the human body, the human body has a way of devitalizing that cell so it will not only not reproduce, it will be unable to reproduce. It has one instrumentality to to prevent a cell from 
doing the mitosis where it replicates itself, it doubles itself. It actually turns that off the ability of that cell to make the chemical necessary to 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 have mitosis where it splits. It it does other things that devitalizes it where it has less interest in surviving too. And it's a way in which the body cleanses itself of cancers. Well, what do we have in society that cleanses ourselves of the cancers of society? And understanding both of these factors is very important. And, you know, we talk about diet. You're doing diet will actually improve your, uh, your, your health of your body. Why? Because there are certain minerals or certain elements that get into the body through diet that don't get into it through other means. That allows the body to be more healthy. But overall, what makes life life is a pattern of life that comes from the tree of life, from the Holy Spirit. And so you need the dwelling of that Holy Spirit in your body, in your physical body, so that the conflict that is causing the disease in your body will diminish. That's why I say... Passing a law against abortion is not going to solve the problem. You can do that. You know, electing this leader who's less, not as bad as that leader, you can do that. But if you want to solve the problem, you have to get down to the basic fundamentals of that law of nature, which we see. You can go back and listen in the past to our, our programs on the Ten Commandments and stuff to understand how this applies. As a matter of fact, I recommend... Getting Keys of the Kingdom podcasts everywhere. But we just can't cover this all in one one two-hour session. So, until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. See you on the network. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.